Amen. Thank you. We'll have a couple of announcements as they're receiving the offering. Um, of course, we are anticipating some, some type of a snow event this weekend. Uh, if you are not signed up for the church texting program, can I encourage you to do that? Uh, what it is, it's, it's free to you. And anytime we need to get information out to you as a church, such as a cancellation of a service or a delay or something like that going on, uh, we will send you a text. And uh, uh, we're, we're to the size of a church trying to call everybody. Uh, doesn't always work. Uh, some of you don't answer your phone and you don't check your voicemail and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so if you could help out with this, if you have not signed up, uh, it's very simple. All you have to do is uh, enter the church phone number, 203-265-6320. And in the text box, just write the word church, okay? And you're automatically signed up. If you're already signed up, if you had it last year, you don't have to do it again. We've had some people sign up five, six, seven, and eight times. Like every time we made the announcement, okay, I'll sign up. You don't have to do that. It's like salvation. It's eternal, okay? You never lose it. Um, and that'll, that'll help. We'd, hey, for example, Sunday, if we, uh, if we do have a snow system, I know everybody's got to get shoveled and plowed out at home. We got to get here, uh, get the parking lot cleaned up and the sidewalks and so forth. Let's, let's say that we're going to just not have Sunday school because of the whatever weather it is. Uh, we can send that out. I hate to see anybody make a trip in uh, and then find out that we're, you know, there's nobody else here, that type of thing. So if you've not yet signed up for that, uh, if you would uh, go ahead and, and, again, the church phone number and just type in the word uh, church and you're auto automatically signed up, ready to go. Brother Malberg, in the back, right beside you are the 2024 Bible reading calendars. If you did not get one on Sunday, maybe you weren't here uh, or whatever, maybe you're serving in another department and you need, need one of these, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody in here? Okay, we got a few. Um, just keep it up. Uh, Brother Steve will be by. There's one, we have enough for everybody and we'll just keep printing these. We'll, we'll have some more ready for this Sunday. Uh, you're only, we're only three days into it. So uh, it, it's designed for a six day uh, Bible reading. Um, and uh, I, I enjoy doing it and, and I've got my three days already checked off. It's a great way to just stay on top of your Bible reading. If you follow it at the end of this year, uh, you will have read your Bible through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I hope you'll take up the challenge. I was especially encouraged. Uh, I came downstairs, I, I think it was on Monday. And uh, Nathan, my six-year-old grandson, uh, just uh, talked to his mom and dad and uh, decided that this year he is going to read his Bible every day. Um, he watches his dad every morning when the kids get up, Rob's out in the living room and he's got his Bible and, and Rob has a journal um, and Rob's taking notes in his journal from his Bible reading and Nathan asked if they would get him a journal and they had when he's six years old. And uh, so for the first three days of 2024, Nathan reads his Bible and in his journal, he's writing down something God gave him. Sometimes all he's doing is copying a verse but that's fine and dandy. Uh, I think one of the days he drew a picture about what he read, um, and, and I'm not sure what it was. And so uh, they said, hey, Nathan, tell, tell Papa what, what you think God wants you to do. He said, God wants me to read my Bible every day this year. He said, 
And I'm going to write down what God teaches me because I think God wants me to be a pastor someday. And we're all on the verge of tears because we've never pushed our kids or grandkids in anything like that. That's, that's up to God to do. Uh, if a six-year-old can read his Bible every day, how many think we could too? Anybody? Those of you not raising your hands, why? Uh, Anyhow, uh, so uh, I hope you'll, you'll take that up. This Sunday is uh, Vision Sunday, and uh, Lord willing, we'll still be here, and we'll be uh, laying out uh, the plan for the new year. You'll notice things are a little bland. We got all the Christmas decorations down. We have new banners for all around the auditorium with our 2024 theme, and uh, those will go up uh, probably tomorrow or Friday. Uh, and just uh, that'll, that'll be, uh, we're going to launch everything this coming Sunday. So I hope you'll be in your places and be a part of that. Men, don't forget next Tuesday evening at seven o'clock, uh, we're going to restart our men's Bible study. Uh, we'll be in 1 John chapter 1 if you want to start reading through that on your own now. Uh, if you got a journal, a notebook, something, and you can take down notes as you do so. Uh, we're going to start out meeting in my study. Uh, I got a conference table in and, and so forth. And uh, if we outgrow that, then we'll move somewhere else. But I'll have heat in there. Uh, on, a, on a Tuesday evening. So that's where we're going to start. And uh, all of you men are invited, teenage young men uh, and so forth. So I hope that you'll take the time and join us for that. Speaking of heat, we come in today uh, to start school and uh, there was no heat. Our brand new boiler, brand spanking. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. And it turns out the boiler inspector was in yesterday, and in the process of things, they, turning things on and off, they turned the gas feed off. He got a phone call and had to leave right away and never turned it back on. So it wasn't the furnace uh, issue, it was just a matter of you know, flicking a switch. But uh, surprise, surprise, never a dull moment, but our new boiler works just great. Just don't let the, the, uh, the uh, inspector touch it. Are you in Acts chapter 24? Paul has traveled to Jerusalem. He had a burden from the Lord to do so. He took a, a vow with four other men under the instruction of James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, because many people thought that they had a, a wrong idea of Paul's teachings, uh, that uh, he was telling Jewish people uh, to go ahead and live like a Gentile, and Paul never taught anything like that. Uh, so James said, let's just kind of squash the rumors and uh, you take on this vow with these guys. And uh, so Paul did so, an attempt just to, to do the right thing and to convey the right, the right message. And it backfired badly. Some Jews from Ephesus showed up. Uh, they saw Paul in the temple with those four men and they just went ballistic. They started a riot saying this man preaches everywhere against Jewish people, against the law of God, against the temple. Um, and the people just, they just got involved in that. They started beating him up. Uh, people from all quarters of the city of Jerusalem heard the noise of the tumult and they came in. The temple courtyard, remember, could handle thousands of people at a time. Uh, the Roman soldiers had to rescue Paul, uh, lest he be tore apart from the violence of the mob. Uh, in chapter 23, uh, Paul asked for an opportunity, I'm sorry, chapter 22, Paul asked for an opportunity to speak to the crowd, and uh, the, the Roman captain gave him leave to do so. He preached to them in the Hebrew tongue. Uh, he shared his testimony of 
uh, of uh, being a, a Pharisee from birth, uh, of being a, a de devout Jewish man, how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, they listened in silence to him until he said that the Lord was sending him to the Gentiles. And at the word Gentiles, the mob went crazy again and said, away with this guy, it's not fit that he should live. And so Paul was brought back into the tower of, of Antonia and uh, uh, it was for his own protection. Paul was bound, the, the captain was gonna beat him, uh, scourge him, uh, thinking maybe he could get Paul to you know, tell him what was really going on. And then Paul said, you might not wanna do that. I'm a Roman citizen. It was against Roman law to scourge a Roman citizen. And uh, so the next day, the captain had the Sanhedrin show up. And uh, I'm trying to kind of review quickly here uh, to, to get to the heart of the matter, because it's, it's uh, you know, Paul preached in Hebrew, and this Roman soldier probably understood nothing of what Paul said. So the Sanhedrin showed up, and uh, it, it didn't go well at all. Uh, Paul realized that um, part of the crowd were Pharisees, part of the crowd were Sadducees. The Pharisees believe in a resurrection, they believe in angels and in the spirit of man. Sadducees believe none of those things. So Paul just said, I'm a Pharisee, I'm the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection, I'm called into question. And uh, a riot broke out amongst the Sanhedrin. They were now fighting with each other. Uh, because the Pharisee said, oh, we're going to take his side. He's a Pharisee, we're a Pharisee, um, and so forth. And that whole thing didn't go very well. Um, the Lord appeared to Paul in chapter 23, verse 11, um, and said, be of good cheer, Paul. As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And we walk through the four different times in Paul's life and ministry where the Lord showed up. A very difficult time just to encourage him. Um, we, last week, we studied the fact that a bunch of Jews, some 40 of them, took a vow on themselves. Can anybody remember what the vow was? Yeah, they weren't going to eat anything until they had killed Paul. They called it a curse uh, because they're, they're in their mindset, if they didn't fulfill the vow, uh, God would curse them. Um, remind us, how long did Paul live after they took their vow? About 10 years. He lived another decade. So I'm going to guess either they didn't keep the vow or they got very, very skinny over the course of 10 years with no food. But the, uh, the conspiracy was made known to Paul. Paul let the, the Roman captain know about it. The captain could not let anything happen to Paul because if it happened to him, uh, that captain could lose his life or at the very least his job, because that was a Roman citizen under his care. Uh, so in the middle of the night, he got a, a, an army of several hundred men. They took Paul from Jerusalem and went north to the seaport city of Caesarea and um, got him out of the, the, the way of the Jewish people and uh, sent him to a governor by the name of Felix. We've, we've, we met him uh, a week or so ago, talked a little bit uh, more about him last week. Felix was uh, a, a new governor there. He had been in power about six years. Uh, very loyal to Rome. He was a Roman governor. Um, he, had, he had dealt with the Jewish people very, very harshly. 
any sense of uprising. He was very paranoid about that, and he put it down harshly. Uh, there was a group of assassins, that, and, and that, in fact, they thought Paul was the leader of that uh, at the outset. Uh, they called the Sicarii, um, and every time they, they reared their ugly head, Felix would put down that, that uh, uh, uprising as quickly as he could. So he was a very brutal man uh, and so forth, and he was the governor that was going to oversee Paul's case. Um, so we were in chapter 24 last week. Paul was there in Caesarea for about five days. Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders, verse 1, and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. The Sanhedrin wisely realized that they couldn't do their own talking because they couldn't get along with each other. And they would end up fighting, and they would lose the case. So they got this guy... We know very little about him. He's only mentioned this one time in the Bible. He doesn't even become a footnote in history uh, for historians like Josephus, who was alive at this time uh, in, in Jewish history. Uh, but he was an orator, uh, a very good speaker, and everything that came out of the, the man's mouth was a lie. He started out with flattery about how, you know, called most noble Felix, you know, you're just a wonderful guy. We know how you much you love our people. They knew Felix didn't like them. They didn't like Felix. Um, he, he uh, nothing but lies about Paul uh, and so forth. And uh, it, it was just, uh, it was just that way the whole way through. Uh, last week, we started in verse 10 where Paul begins to speak and Paul addresses the governor uh, he, know, he throws no flattery out. He says, for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Um, just said, you, you, you know us. You've been a judge here for a long time. You understand how we work. So I'm glad to be able to have a chance to talk to you. And Paul basically just uh, tells uh, of the story of the event uh, that, that, that transpired. We stopped in verse 16 last week. Paul said, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And we spent some time last Wednesday night walking through the, the books that Paul wrote, the letters, and how he was consumed with the importance of maintaining a good conscience. Um, making sure at the end of the day that what he, did, what he did and said was pleasing and right in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Paul was wise enough to understand that he couldn't trust himself to be the judge of whether his conscience was clear. Um, it had to be lining up with the word of God. And Paul said, I exercise myself to have a good conscience. That's like going into training. Um, he worked at it, making sure that always he had a good conscience. We want to pick it up in verse 17 uh, here tonight. That, again, that's a, a review in a nutshell. Paul says, now after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. I actually came to be a blessing to my people. Alms means money. Um, in his epistles, uh, we read where Paul, they were taking up offerings for the poor saints at Jerusalem. And Paul and his entourage were entrusted with that money to take and bring it there. He said, that's why I came. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. 
I wasn't standing up preaching on a soapbox somewhere. I didn't have a crowd of people uh, rabble-rousing with me. We were just minding our own business, uh, uh, doing what we should do. Uh, But these Jews from Asia found me, verse 19, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. None of those original accusers ever show up again in all of Paul's trials. They're the ones that started the riot, these, these Jews from Asia, uh, but, but they, they weren't there for the, with the Sanhedrin uh, in chapter 23. Uh, they aren't there now, and there'll be another trial. They won't be there at all. And Paul said they should be here if they have anything against me, or else let these same hearsay if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. All their accusations have been generalities. Oh, he's a pestilent fellow. Uh, He's a rabble rouser, but they gave no specific details, time, place. uh, This is what he did. This is what he said. This is where he said it. Uh, These people heard him. There's none of that. It's just just general accusations against him. Uh, Again, verse 20, or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me, while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am, I am called in question by you this day. He said, the only thing that they know that I did is when I was in their midst, and he quoted himself, touching the resurrection of the dead, I'm here. And he did say that, and that did spark the riot within the Sanhedrin uh, in the previous chapter, But other than that, and even that wasn't rabble-rousing. That was a statement of fact. They're the ones that went nuts and fought between themselves when they heard that. Verse 22, the attention is going to go to this man, Felix. Um, It's this one instance in the Bible in which uh, Felix is mentioned. So we're going to go ahead and read verse 22 to 27. And I want you to notice a few important details about this man. When Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and justice to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So we're going to talk about this guy Felix tonight. Um, God put his story in the Bible so we can learn some things from him. We've already talked about who he was. We're introduced to his wife in verse 24. His wife's name was Drusilla, and she was a Jewish gal. Um, according to Josephus, again, the historian, um, Josephus actually traveled with the Roman armies at that time, though he was a Jewish man. Uh, and he was the contemporary of all of these things and gives us some eyewitness account. 
he fleshes out some of the history for us of some of these names that appear in the Bible. Drusilla was the youngest daughter of King Herod Agrippa I. Herod the Great, that was uh, the King Herod when Jesus was born, uh, that uh, uh, the wise men came in to see and so forth. After he died, Herod Agrippa I, um, his son became king. Uh, not a good man at all. Uh, in fact, when uh, Joseph was, uh, and his family were coming out of Egypt um, at God's command, and he found out that Herod Agrippa was ruling in his father's room, Joseph was worried about going back to Bethlehem, and uh, the Lord told him, no, don't go to Bethlehem, go to Nazareth instead, uh, because they won't be looking for you there. Herod Agrippa was about as bloodthirsty as his famous father. Uh, he killed uh, some of his brothers and sisters because he was afraid they wanted his throne. Uh, Herod Agrippa was the man who had the apostle James beheaded with the sword. Uh, the one who threw Peter in the prison. And uh, of course, the Lord got Peter out. We studied that in Acts chapter 12. Um, and uh, Herod Agrippa gave a speech one day and the people said, it is not the voice of a man, it is the voice of a God. And he basked in that praise and adulation. And what did God do to, to uh, King Herod Agrippa for placing himself in the position of God? Yeah, yeah, um, he was eaten up of worms. He just, he kind of just keeled over and died. Uh, and so forth. Well, Drusilla was his youngest daughter. Um, she was originally engaged to a prince of Syria, minor prince, nobody that would ever be like a king of a region or anything like that. Um, it is believed that they actually uh, went through with the marriage and so forth. Uh, but for whatever reason, Drusilla ran away from her husband and found herself at the age of 16 with Felix. She became his third wife. It is unknown where she was at, whether she was ever divorced from her first husband or not. Uh, but that's the Drusilla here. So she's a, she's a Jewish girl. She would have been raised understanding uh, a lot about the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith and scriptures and so forth. So we, we have this combination here. Here's some things I want you to notice about uh, Felix with, with that bit of uh, extra biography, if you will. Number one, uh, Felix had an understanding of the gospel. Verse 22, when Felix heard these things, Paul's testimony, having more perfect knowledge of that way. We know in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, the Christians were, uh, the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, but that name wasn't a un was not a universal title. Uh, they were sometimes in the book of Acts referred to as a sect of the Nazarenes. Uh, sometimes they were just called the people of the way. In this case, um, that way. They, they weren't quite sure what to call them yet. Um, but the Bible says that this man, Felix, having more perfect knowledge of that way. Somewhere along the line, this man, Felix, had been exposed to the gospel message. Whereas the Roman chief captain, Lysias, the, he just didn't understand any of it. He thought Paul was an Egyptian assassin. Um, he, didn't, uh, he didn't comprehend Paul's message in Hebrew whatsoever. Felix, on the other hand, 
uh, knew some things about the gospel. Again, having more perfect knowledge of that way. So here's a man who'd heard the gospel and seems to have had a good, good grasp of that gospel. He's a Roman, married to a Jewish girl, but he's, he's come under the sound of the gospel. There's a second thing the Bible tells us. He was under conviction. He was under conviction. Look at verse um, 24. After certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, can I just stop right there? Paul did not sugarcoat the gospel. He didn't go around saying, hey, do you want to go to heaven someday when you die? Pray this prayer and ask Jesus in your heart. That's not soul winning. That's not soul winning. No conviction, no conversion. Paul reason number one of righteousness. John Phillips in, in his commentary uh, of the book of Romans talks about Paul's message there about this subject of righteousness. He talks about the righteousness that is required and that is sinless perfection of which none of us measure up. There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, Paul goes from there to righteousness revealed, that righteousness which is by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's imputed righteousness, not ours, but his. The righteousness received for, uh, uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then that righteousness reproduced as we go out and share that message of the gospel with others. Paul's talking to Felix about this. Uh, what righteousness is, what God's demands are on that. He talked about temperance. Somebody give me another word or definition of temperance. Self-control. You realize for this couple, Felix and Drusilla, they haven't exhibited a whole lot of self-control. Drusilla at 16 left her husband and joined up and married this guy uh, and so forth. And she was his third wife. And so Paul is reasoning about that and judgment. Judgment. We live in a world that, that wants to have sin with no consequences. Is that not correct? Um, that, that's why people don't want to hear truth. And anybody that speaks truth is a hate monger or something like that. But the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There, there is a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. So Paul is sharing this gospel. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, he's being hateful about it because Felix is requesting these audiences with him. And, and Paul is sharing that with him. But again, verse 25. So he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled. That man's under conviction. It's, it's taking root in his heart. As a Roman, he was raised to follow that pantheon of, of false gods and goddesses. And, and all of their, their gods were just knockoffs of the Greeks, which were knockoffs of the Persians, which were knockoffs of the Babylonians, uh, and so forth. And, and their gods and goddesses had all the weaknesses and flaws that human beings do. And all of a sudden, Paul is talking about the one true God. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and this righteousness, which is by faith uh, of this eternal judgment. And the Bible says Felix trembled. So here's a man that is under conviction. Um, only God can do that, by the way. 
Only God can do that. It's our job to share the gospel, to share it correctly and biblically. Um, but, but it's an amazing thing when God brings conviction. How many remember when you came under conviction? Um, I ask you all the time uh, to pray for my grandson, Tommy. Uh, Tommy's asking a lot of questions uh, about the gospel. Just turned nine a few weeks ago. Um, because of the autism, uh, he, he doesn't always know exactly how to frame questions. Uh, it, it's sometimes it's a little hard to know what's going on. He's a very, very highly intelligent boy. Um, but he's piecing all of these things uh, together right now. And one of the things he's under, understanding uh, is that there's a penalty for sin. Um, um, that there's none righteous, no, not one, uh, and so forth. And uh, it's starting to bother him, starting to bother him. One Sunday after church, I, I went over and um, I think we're tearing the auditorium down, something like that. And Nathan and Tommy had been in my study and uh, Nathan came out crying and Tommy was right on his heels. And I, said, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. And I said, Nathan, what happened? Tommy hit me. And, uh, you know, Tommy's upset, Nathan's upset. And so Nathan was going to run off, tell mom and dad. And I said, Tommy, that was not good at all. He goes, is he going to tell mom? I said, oh, yeah, he's going to tell mom. You're going to be in trouble. And here's what Tommy said. Am I a good person? Am I a good person? And he was tearful. Am I a good person? I said, Tommy, when you hit your brother like that, that's not a good person. No, 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 no. No, I'm a good person. He's struggling with that. And that's as it needs to be. He has to come under that conviction of sin. I want you to understand that this Roman governor has a knowledge of the gospel and through his days with Paul, that knowledge is more complete than it's ever been and he's trembling. He's under conviction about it. But I want you to notice in spite of that, he's putting off getting saved. Verse 25, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now, we have a few more clues coming in this chapter of uh, what, what he saw as a convenient season. So here's a man that understands, knows the gospel. He's under conviction about it, but I'll get saved someday, just not today. Um, that's, that's playing Russian roulette with your eternity. Um, you don't know if there is another time. You have no idea whatsoever. Uh, if any of you are familiar with the, the testimony of uh, Jack Hiles, uh, he grew up in, in West Texas, I believe it was, and uh, his father was an alcoholic. Uh, much of the time in his growing up, his father was out of the home, an absentee father, and his little mother took him to church. They, they lived in poverty and so forth. Um, when his father found out that he had, God had called him to preach, his, his father... Uh, basically beat him up and was just, you know, I'm ashamed of you, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Brother Howes never stopped praying for his dad, uh, he, uh, his, his mom and his sister, and he prayed for him all the time. Brother Howes was out in the ministry. He was pastoring a church. Um, I think it was one of the churches he pastored in Texas. And uh, he got a call from his father, um, and uh, his, his father, you know, was a good conversation. And, you know, you know, Brother Howell's ta talking to his dad, I want you to get saved. I want you to get saved. And his dad made the statement. He said, I'm going to get saved in the spring. 
I'm going to get saved in the spring. I have a few things I need to take care of. I'm going to get saved in the spring. But before springtime came, he got a call from somebody he didn't know. said, I, uh, I'm a friend of your father's. I just called to tell you that your father just dropped dead from a heart attack. Now, Brother Hiles went to his grave uh, not knowing till he got into eternity, did his dad ever get saved or not? I'll get saved in the spring. Um, and that's a hopeful thing if you've prayed your entire lifetime for somebody to get saved. Uh, but it's, it's a dangerous game to play. That's what Felix said. I know the gospel. I'm under conviction about it. But I'll get saved some other time when it's, when it's more convenient. When, when you're making an excuse about that, the devil will make sure that it's never a convenient time for you. I said there are some clues in the Felix story as to possibly why he was holding off. Look at verse 26. He was motivated by money. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. It was not unheard of in those days to bribe an official. Um, and he just was hoping that maybe Paul and his friends, I, I mean, Paul had already said, I came to bring alms to my nation and an offering. In Felix's mind, he's probably thinking Paul's got some wealthy friends. Um, maybe in their conversations, he talked to him about having traveled all through Asia, uh, all the way down through the Greek peninsula and back, and how he knew people in, in Corinth and Ephesus and all these places. And, and maybe in Felix's mind, he's hearing ka-ching, ka-ching. Uh, you know, this guy, you know, uh, maybe will just give me some money, grease my palm, and I can let him go. Uh, but Paul's not going to do that. Why? Anybody guesses? Why wouldn't Paul do that? Brother Ron? Well, number one, he's not going to get called back. He's going to lose his chance to witness. But why else wouldn't Paul do that? He's an honest man. Uh, bribery is a crime. Okay? Uh, even if you're sure that that official uh, isn't setting you up, uh, it's still a crime. And, and Paul's a believer. He would ruin his testimony before this guy that he's trying to lead to Christ. And, and so forth. So Felix knows the gospel. He's under conviction. I'll call you back at a convenient time. And now we find out one of the things holding him off is he wants money. And that's important to him. Uh, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love thereof is the root of all evil. Turn, if you would, to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. There's nothing sinful about money. God made Solomon the wealthiest king of his generation. Um, nothing at all wrong with that. It's when money becomes more important to us than the Lord, we've got a problem. Uh, look if you, uh, again, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, simple statement. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and, what's the next word? Mammon. Anybody know what mammon is? It's money or riches, wealth. You cannot serve God and mammon. So that doesn't mean you need to quit your job and, you know, not make any more money. It means uh, money's not your God. 
You can't do both. You can't do both. Um, in fact, Jesus started out that teaching, no man can serve two masters. Um, can I serve two masters, yes or no? Can you? But people try it all the time. So you got this guy, Felix. He knows the gospel. He knows it's true. He's under conviction about that. But money is very, very important to him. And he wants to try to have it both ways. So he's calling Paul in all the time, you know, to commune with him, hoping that somewhere along the line, they're going, he's going to get some money for this. And you, you can't do that. You're either going to, you're going to either choose God or you're going to choose money. It, it's going to be one or the other. So we, we've got this guy here that's got, that's got his priorities wrong. He's got another problem. Why he's putting off getting saved. Verse 27. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room. And Felix, we, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. For, for this, to understand this verse, let's go back to Josephus, the Jewish historian. Um, about this time, there was a Jewish uprising. Um, in, in your New Testament, in the Gospels, you'll sometimes read the word zealot. There was a man called Simon Zelotes, which means Simon the Zealot. Zealots were, were Jewish people that, that rabidly hated the Romans and believed that the Romans had no legal right to the land. And uh, that their, their entire mindset was of destroying Rome and breaking the yoke off of Israel. Um, it is the zealots uh, that caused the Roman armies in 70 AD, well, actually 67 AD, to finally start their final march against uh, the land of Israel. And they just started in the north, and it was just a sweeping a uh, uh, bunch of slaughter and destruction. And before that army, innocent Jewish people were fleeing uh, south, headed to Jerusalem, the fortified city. And when they got there, they found out the zealots controlled the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they sealed those poor people in. Many of the people in that city were just innocent uh, Jewish men, women, and children trying to escape the onslaught of the Roman army. And of course, in 70 AD, Titus destroyed Jerusalem and the slaughter uh, was beyond our ability to even comprehend. That was caused by the zealots. There was a, an uprising of the zealots and Felix put it down so violently that he turned the entire Jewish nation against him. He actually went overboard. Um, anybody he suspected of being a zealot, uh, he had them crucified, tortured in every way imaginable. Men, women, children, he spared no one. He was trying to send a message, don't mess with me or I will mess you up. But he went so overboard that Rome recalled him because he, he was becoming now a detriment to Roman rule uh, in that area, which was always unstable, but he made it bad. And so uh, this guy, Portius Festus, we'll see him in the next chapter, uh, when it says, came into Felix's room, didn't mean he walked into his living room and said, hey, how you doing? He's taking his place. Uh, Festus is going to be the new uh, governor of that region. And notice this, after all of this time, Felix has now insulted the Jewish people. He has, he has, he has attacked them mercilessly. 
uh, to put down this zealot uprising. And he knows that when he gets recalled to Rome, the Jews are sending ambassadors there that are going to testify of the carnage. He needs them on his side. So willing to show the Jews a pleasure, he just let Paul in prison because he knew that would make them happy. In his mind, he's thinking, I know Paul's innocent. I know what Paul is. He spent all this time with him, two years. Two years. He knew the guy's innocent. He could have let him go at any time, but he kept him bound just to please the Jewish people. He was a man pleaser. You either please God or you please man. Sometimes you can please both, but not, not very often. Um, and that's one of those reasons why he's not willing to commit uh, to receiving Christ as his Savior because he was more concerned with pleasing men than with pleasing God. Can I get you to look at a, just a couple places? Galatians chapter 1, a couple verses and we'll be done. Paul was a different man than that. Paul's number one desire was to please God. Now, Paul wasn't going out to be offensive to other people. Um, he, he wasn't like that at all. But look, if you would, please, in verse number 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You do realize I could draw a much bigger crowd if I just stop preaching some of the things that I preach? I could do that. We could just decide to uh, put a band on the stage and get some strobe lights and some smoke uh, machines and all that kind of stuff and turn church into a, 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 you know, a party. We could draw a crowd, right? But I wouldn't be pleasing God. You don't compromise on truth. Uh, I know Baptist preachers that uh, you can listen to an entire sermon and you'll never, hear, you'll never hear a single Bible verse referenced. It, it's just pleasing to the ear. It's what everybody wants to hear. And, and I'm not saying we have to be up and be, stand up behind a pulpit and be mean and all that kind of stuff. But let's face it, there are some truths in the Bible that are going to rub us the wrong way, but we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. So Paul said... I, do I please God or do I please men? He said, if I please men, he said, I cannot be the servant of Christ. Uh, look, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul references this teaching uh, a number of times. Paul says in, uh, oh, let's start in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. You remember when we first showed up and we started preaching to you, uh, it, it was not in vain. It was not an empty show. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God which with much contention. It wasn't meant well in Thessalonica. He lasted three weeks and uh, uh, the Jews threatened to kill him there and, and that new group of believers asked him to leave for his own safety for our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness nor in guile but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak 
not as pleasing men, but, but God which trieth our hearts. So not only did Paul exercise himself to have a conscience void of offense towards God or man, we also find out that Paul's number one priority is I want to please God first and foremost. I'm not here to please man because if I'm seeking to please man, I'll, I'll probably compromise on my message. And I, I cannot do that. I can't be the servant of Christ like that. Going back to our guy Felix here, he had no such conviction. If Paul would have paid him, that would have been fine in Felix's mind. Pay the bribe. Paul could have maybe gone on his way, but Paul wouldn't have honored the Lord very well. He wouldn't have exercised his conscience, would he, in a good way. Um, so we find out that, that Felix was about money and Felix was about pleasing other people for his own benefit. And for all those reasons, he said, I know the gospel's true. Maybe someday I'll get saved, just not now. There's no evidence from history, no evidence at all from the Bible. He walks off the pages of scripture at, 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 at verse 27. We have no idea if this man ever got saved, but, but as, it is, as it stands, we know at this point he wasn't. Never put God off about anything, about salvation, about, about surrender. Never put God off. When the Holy Spirit prompts you about sharing the gospel with somebody, don't put God off. You have no idea that that person that he wants you to talk to, that this might be their last day on earth. And God wants them to hear the gospel before they step out into eternity. We need to stop there. It's 8.09. Thank you for being here tonight.